Lord God, we just ask that your, by your spirit we would understand something more of your nature this morning, that you are light and that you are incredible light. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you show us some, some new things about you, Lord, uh, as we get around your word this morning? Amen. Now, I don't know about you, uh, as uh, 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 I was, uh, when I was very little, uh, about four or five, I got a great present for Christmas for the first time. Uh, Hands up here, those of you here who got a torch uh, when they were small. Put your hand up if you got a torch when you were small. One person. Okay, two people. Great. I'm sure that more of you had torches when you were little. Um, I really enjoyed getting my first torch. Torches are lots and lots of fun. Uh, and uh, I could, you know, it opened up a world of new possibilities for me. I was able to uh, kind of read under my blankets at night. You know, my parents had thought I'd gone to bed, but no, I was reading by the light of my torch. I could go outside at night in the dark and explore stuff. Uh, that was cool. Um, I also put my hands over the end of the torch and it made my fingers red. Ever done that? Yeah, that was cool. I also remember being told not to shine it in my nan's face. Uh, she didn't enjoy having a torch shone on her. So torches are great fun. And when you're small, being able to direct a beam of light wherever you need to go, uh, do whatever you need to do with it, is a lot of fun. Lots and lots of fun. So I brought a torch along uh, this morning. Now, in our household... Uh, this, this, well, this torch is a little bit more powerful than that first one I got in my Christmas stocking all, the, all, the, all those years ago. I ordered this off of Amazon. This has got 10,000 lumens. It's apparently as bright as a car headlamp. Uh, we call this in our house the bad boy torch because it's pretty bad. Would you just mind bringing the lights down a second and uh, I'll show you how bright it is. It's very good. Ladies, if you want to get a bloke something for Christmas and you've run out of ideas, do you know what? Most men in the room would enjoy having this. Pretty bright, you know. So maybe you're a bit under-impressed, but in a room just by itself, it's incredibly bright. Hey, let's move on. Oh, should we do it? Oh, we've got proper. Yeah, go on. Oh. Go on, take the lights right down. We'll have one more go. There we go. I won't shine it at you. You'll, you'll complain. There we go. Okay. So I wanted to open with uh, an illustration about light, because I think the Bible has a lot to say about light. And uh, I want you to imagine for a moment that this platform here is like a timeline. And over here, at this end of the, uh, of the platform, perhaps beyond where these guys are sitting over here, is before time. Over this area here was where God dreamed you up, before the creation of the world. And then at this point here is creation, where this lamp is. Uh, And then we have a timeline of history that runs all the way through uh, to the other end of the platform here, which is at the end of time when God wraps everything up and it's a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, And and so imagine this platform here as a timeline of everything uh, before you. And what I want you to uh, understand uh, is that something quite special happens uh, that God does. I want to show you this. And if you could just bring the lights down for a moment and put that verse up on the screen for me. What happens at the beginning of creation is that God makes light. This is the very first bit of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Now, we're just going to keep the lights low a bit. I'm just going to explain something about what's going on here. 
God made light itself. Now, what we're seeing coming from this lamp here is it's a source of light. And so you, you'd look at the lamp and you'd say, well, that's what's making the light. But what I want you to understand is that God made light itself on day one of creation. It's the very second thing that he makes after the, uh, the heavens and the earth. And so God makes light itself. It's not until day four in verse 16 of Genesis chapter one that we get the sun and the moon and the stars and sources of light. God makes light itself. And then if we come to the very end of time when God wraps everything up and we're in Revelation chapter 21, what we find out is that God and Jesus are a source of light themselves. And so let's just have a look at that next, uh, next verse, please. Guys, Revelation 21, 23 says this, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. And so what you have in the big picture of everything is you have this kind of idea that creation is bookended or, or the whole of existence and history starting with creation, it's bookended with light. It starts with light over here and it moves to light over there. And God is light. In fact, in the Bible, it teaches us that God is in unapproachable light. He lives in unapproachable light and that he is light itself. And so the big picture I wanted to sort of set out before you this morning is that an intrinsic and an essential part of who God is, is that he has light from within himself. But what about in the middle? What happens in the middle? So we've seen the beginning of time and we've seen where God's taking it in the future. Well, something special happens in the middle. Um, I don't know if you've ever, uh, perhaps as a teenager, gone down the park with your mates and you stood on the seesaw. You're not supposed to do that, are you? But it's good fun. And you stand in the middle and you've got perhaps a person one end and a person the other and you're kind of trying to balancing on the middle. Well, in physics, that's called the fulcrum point. That's kind of like where everything hinges or it's like that's the center point where everything balances. Well, Jesus is the center point of history. He is the fulcrum point of everything that God had in mind for you and I. Jesus makes an incredible claim in John's gospel, which, which goes like this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying is, I am the person who spiritually brings dazzling brightness and clarity and definition and direction to all things just for you, just for you and I. So do you remember that time uh, in the Gospels where uh, Peter, James and John go up a mountain with Jesus? He says, come with me. Um, we're going to go and kind of pray and, and maybe meet with God. And, and they, they see him transfigured before them. And his clothes become dazzlingly bright, really, really white, whiter than any laundry could clean them, it says in the Bible. Now, I wanted to kind of demonstrate something of that to you um, in the person of Jesus who steps into history right in the middle of everything. I'm going to light a firework here. Uh, I have some fireworks. I have tested this already. Um, so we'll bring the lights down. And we'll see if this works. Some of you are praying that there's no explosions. Read with me up on the screen. You've seen these words this morning already when you've come into church, but read them with me, to, together with me, while this is burning. What came into existence, just read with me, yeah. What came into existence was life, 
and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness. The darkness could not put it out. And pray this prayer with me too. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the light of the world. Thank you that you came into history just for me. Thank you that you give us all your light to live by. We give you permission to bring your light into our lives. Amen. What you have just done there, you can bring the lights back up, guys. Thank you. What you've just done there is you've prayed a biblical prayer of thanks, which comes straight from Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, that says this. Giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. If you wanted one sentence to sum up the Bible, if you wanted a a statement that was uh, to kind of wrap up everything that we're trying to do with our Unstoppable Light series this Christmas, it would be this one. It's up on the screen. It says this, God looks down the perspective of time on the beam of light that is his perfect son, and he sees a family that he has adopted from darkness and brought into the light of his perfect holiness to be with him through his son Jesus, who is the light of the world. God has that in mind from even before creation. He had this in mind over here, that we would join him in the heavenly city with his son and that there would be light there coming from both of them. Unstoppable light is God's unwavering plan to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness so that you can join his family in the kingdom of light. Light is there at the very beginning. Light is there at the end. Now, obviously, the firework kind of ran out, but Jesus' dazzling brightness never, ever runs out. The light God sends is unstoppable, and it's right there at the fulcrum point of all of human history in a person who is called Jesus, and he is the light of the world. The light's never going to stop. It's unending, and it's unstoppable. Now, it seems to me that it's absolutely no coincidence at all that the first sign of the arrival of Jesus is in light, in the sky, in the form of a star. You know the nativity story, you know what happens, but Matthew's gospel uh, tells us that wise men from the east see a star rising up, which they interpret correctly as as the arrival of the king of the Jews. They travel to Jerusalem to ask King Herod uh, where they might, might find this king. Now, I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that King Herod was an extremely nasty ruler. He was responsible for hundreds, if not thousands, of executions, including some of his closest relatives. He was a very, very suspicious, uh, powerful man. He had 10 marriages in total in his life. Uh, Two of them were to his own nieces. He had six wills left after his death. Imagine the mess and the complication of that. And after his death, the Jews in the place where he ruled actually marked his death with a celebration because they were so delighted that he was gone. He was a very nasty man indeed. Let's just pick up the story for a moment in Matthew uh, chapter 2. After Jesus uh, was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. 
Now, I've prepared a little sound snippet, which the desk are just going to get ready for us, uh, which is from a, a well-known recent film. Uh, that I, when I heard this, I kind of thought that this would play into this really well. Now, you have to imagine for a moment that as the light of the world is about to arrive, everything gets spiritually changed forever because Jesus is about to arrive. Now, what I'm about to say is not in the Bible. I'm offering you a, a creative little piece that I'm adding in just to bring it to life. But I imagine that Herod was somebody who probably didn't sleep that well as a person who used darkness a lot to get things done. He probably feared it. And I imagine that on the morning just before the kings have arrived from the east, he had a particularly bad night's sleep just before the arrival of the wise men. And I also imagine that perhaps in, in his just half waking, half sleeping, he may have heard one of his advisors come to his bedroom and say something like this. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? Now, many of you will know that that's a reference from Star Wars 7. And the reason I've shared that with you is because I kind of think Herod was a person who occupied a pretty murky world, and he would have had people who would have come and said things like that to him. Yes, Herod, everything is going to change because there has been an awakening. There has been an awakening because the light of the world is on his way. And there is absolutely nothing you can do to stop it. Because he is absolutely unstoppable. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, Herod asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, King Jesus, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had, had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. What a load of rubbish. Herod is not going to go and worship Jesus. He wants to find out where Jesus is so that he can kill him. God is protecting Jesus, though. And if that's the case, Herod will be able to do nothing at all to stop God fulfilling his plans for Jesus. And we know how the story goes. We know that God warned the wise men in a dream to go back to their own country so that Herod could not use them to find Jesus. We also know that God told Joseph in another dream to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt so that they would be safe from Herod. That is unstoppable light right there. The light of the world is born during the reign of one of history's nastiest rulers, but remains fully protected by God. Now, here's how that plays out for us. If God navigated Jesus as light of the world past one of the nastiest rulers in history, don't you think he has you covered? He's got you covered. Whatever happens to you is through the lens of God's permission over your life. He has you covered. There is a purpose in it. Now, perhaps some of us might deep down inside feel, well, the lengths that God would go to for Jesus would got to be more than they'd go, he would go to, uh, go to for me. I don't think that holds simply because the unstoppable plan of God the Father for Jesus is all about us. It's all about us. It's all meant for us. We are in mind when God has his plans for Jesus. Remember that phrase from communion that we so often hear, this is my body given for you. 
Everything about Jesus is for you. It's for you and I. Now, yes, there will come a time when Jesus is surrendered up to become a perfect sacrifice on a cross, but it's not under Herod the Great. But, and that is all so that you and I can be a part of God's family in his vision for the future of a new heaven and a new earth in the perfect city in heaven. Did you know that light itself is a really amazing thing? Uh, light's fascinating. And I've just kind of picked seven things that I think is really cool about light itself. You might know some of these things already, uh, but we'll go through them. Light is something. It's not nothing. Uh, sorry, darkness is nothing, and light is something. So when there's no light, that just simply means we have an absence of something. Darkness isn't a thing. Light is a thing. God made light. When light isn't there, we have darkness. So darkness is an absence. That's an important distinction. When you all came in this morning, uh, none of you will have noticed any, well, there's multitudes of these. You will have, never, you will have not seen uh, or pointed out with your eyes or worked out little tiny pin spots of shadow. So if I said to you, oh, look, there's a little tiny pin spot of shadow under that, the edge of that speaker, you wouldn't have automatically had your eyes drawn to that in any way, shape, or form. You wouldn't have even noticed it. But that's not true with a tiny pin spot of light. If we all came in here and it was pitch black, but there was one tiny bit of light, all of our eyes would instantly go to it. That's not the case with darkness. We don't do that with the dark at all. Third thing about light. Light is something given out. It's not taken away. These lamps that shine their light, the light is coming from them out to you to light you up. It's no mistake that in John's gospel, Jesus is presented as, I am the light of the world. And if you count up the number of times that uh, the John uses the word sent, it's just loads. I think it's over 60 times he uses the word sent, which is completely consistent with the quality of light because light is given out. Albert Einstein came, I think, very close to a spiritual discovery in some ways in his very famous equation, E equals mc squared. What he basically said was that the C was speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. And if you times that by itself and times it by the mass of an object, you can effectively work out what energy that object has. And that's an amazing scientific discovery and breakthrough. But for me, that isn't that far off the life light blazed out of the darkness. Life and light in Einstein's thinking are intrinsically linked. And actually, that's a biblical concept. I actually think he nudged into the edge of something spiritual with that equation. I really do. Fifthly, every single thing we eat has its origin in light. Did you know that? You probably do know that, but you've forgotten. All the food we eat comes from the fact that when the sun shines on the earth, you know, chlorophyll in leaves turns carbon dioxide into starch, and then that turns into food, and then we all have stuff to eat. And there's a food chain which has its origin in light. None of us would have any energy if there wasn't any light in the sky. That's a provision directly from God, which we just take for granted. In fact, it's so boringly normal, we don't even think of it as miraculous. But do you know what? It is. Number six, time starts doing some really weird stuff at the speed of light. I have this conjecture that light is kind of like on the interface between science and, and God. And it's just kind of on that boundary line. If you got to the speed of light, if you could really go there, time would start to slow down and go backwards and you'd become infinitely heavy. Not a very encouraging thought, is it? Anyway, um, but all sorts of strange things start to happen at the speed of light. That's one of its qualities. 
Now, in sharing seven, I haven't shared the seventh one yet, I'm about to, but in sharing seven amazing things about light with you, I want you to understand that I've not picked the number seven uh, just out of thin air. Seven has deep significance in the Bible. Because God created everything in seven days and rested on the seventh, the number seven often represents wholeness, completeness, the perfection of God. Just think of the many different times that seven or multiples of seven come up in the word. There are seven pairs of each of the clean animals on the ark. Joshua marches around Jericho seven times, doesn't he? There are seven stems on the lampstand in the tabernacle. Naaman bathes in the Jordan seven times to be healed of his skin disease. There are 70 weeks prophesied in the book of Daniel. We're commanded to forgive others, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. There are seven I am statements in John's gospel, of which one is I am the light of the world. So seven is a, is a big deal with God and in the Bible. And the thing that I wanted to say as the seventh quality of light is that God has hidden seven colors inside white light. You know this from prisms and from school. There are seven colored bits of light inside white light hidden there which appear in the form of a rainbow. Rainbows are the sign in light in the sky of God's covenant promise that he would never again destroy all of life with flood water as he had to in the time of Noah. Should we see if we can create a rainbow right now on the ceiling? Listen, I've bought this, obviously this this torch is going to be part of that. I bought a prism off of Amazon. Nine quid that was. Look, there's a prism. I'm going to ask the guys to bring the lights right down. What I want you to do is kind of look in this space up here at the rafters. I'm going to try and create this with the torch and the prism. Here we go. You've got permission to go, ooh, if I make it work, okay? In his ministry, Jesus performs a number of miracles in which he reintroduces light to a person in the physical. That's what he does. He heals blindness. Now, the Gospels often make the point that as physical sight is restored to a person, the spiritual understanding of who Jesus is as the Son of God emerges. Now, I'd like to take a look at a really curious story in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8, where a blind man seems to have received a partial healing at first, and then Jesus completes it with a second healing. Now, just be really honest, has that story ever puzzled you? You're reading that and you're like, well, Jesus, you've got the power to change. You've got the power to do the healing fully the first time around. What are you doing? You know, why is it in two parts? Is like your power off that day or something? No, I don't think that's the case. Let's have a look at the story. Uh, it's in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 25, which will come up behind me. It says this, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, here is what I think Mark is doing. He's trying to show who Jesus is, but he's realistic that people won't grasp it fully straight away. They won't get it, all of it, all at once. 
Now, earlier, we imagined that the whole of the story of the Bible was laid out on this platform from one end to the other with creation over there and a new heaven and a new earth over there. And I want you to hold that thought in your mind. That's fine. But I also want you to overlay Mark's gospel over that schema. So we start with Mark 1.1 over here. And what Mark is trying to do is he's trying to explain who Jesus is. And at the point that he starts, he's got... You know, we've, we've only just started. He's beginning to build his picture of who Jesus is and the understanding will be very limited. And then by the end of Mark, by, the, by Mark chapter 16, his aim is and his hope and his prayer is that you will understand that Jesus is the Son of God and that he has come to save you uh, from your sin. That's what Mark's aim is and hope. And what we see with Mark's plan of his gospel is about this point here in the middle, Mark chapter 8 is where he includes this two-stage miracle. It's a two-stage healing story. Now, I think it's a miracle to teach that's there to teach how many of us come to understand Jesus in the spiritual. We start off completely spiritually blind. We then open ourselves up to Jesus because we have some kind of an encounter with him. We slowly begin to understand who he is, although some of the things can be a bit confusing at first, can't they? It's a bit like trees walking around, this newfound faith that we have. But then as we mature in Christ, it becomes more and more apparent to us that Jesus really is the Son of God. In other words, this two-stage miracle in Mark chapter 8, right in the middle of his, of his account, doesn't say anything about Jesus' ability to heal people. No, that's not in question here. What it says is it says everything about the gradual process of our spiritual eyes being opened. But that's not a one-time process. So as we close, how can we respond to Jesus as the unstoppable light of the world? Well, I think there's a couple of different ways in which we can respond to this message. And both of them are going to be illustrated with the help of this wardrobe here behind me. I expect you've been wondering why that's there. Now, there's no witch, okay? Um, But there is definitely a lion in the form of Leon. Um, Now, Leon is going to play the part of Jesus uh, for me. I'm just going to pass you this prop, Leon. You need that. Thank you. Now, Jesus is going to come along with his unstoppable light, and he's going to shine it on our lives. And our lives are a bit like this wardrobe here. At the beginning, when we first encounter Jesus, we've kind of got the doors shut. We don't, we're not sure who Jesus is. We're not sure about letting him, in, letting him in yet. There's a trust issue. Who is this Jesus? Why is he shining his light on us? Why are we having this encounter? We shut the doors. So we don't, we're not sure about our response to that. But we do have a choice. Do we open ourselves up and let his light in? Or ultimately, do we behave a bit like Herod and resist the light and seek to snuff it out? Now remember what God's plan is. God is looking down the perspective of time on the beam of light that is his perfect son and sees a family that he's adopted from darkness and brought into the light of his perfect holiness to be with him. That's you and me this morning. God wants to adopt us into his family through the unstoppable light of the world, represented here by uh, Leon, who's playing Jesus. Now, last year, uh, the band 21 Pilots released an excellent album called Blurry Face. And on this album, it opens with a, with a song called Heavy Dirty Soul. And it has the following lyrics in it. Can you save, can you save my, can you save my heavy dirty soul? Well, I've got to tell you this morning, folks, Jesus can, can do that. 
He can save your heavy, dirty soul and he can bring it into God's family and fill it with life and light and hope. And so perhaps if you are someone this morning who would like to open up to Jesus as the light of the world for the first time and maybe you've never let Jesus into your heart and you've always kept the the door of your wardrobe of you shut, then maybe there's an opportunity for you today to open up to him, to who he is. Do you know what? Maybe you are sick of lugging around your heavy, dirty soul and you want Jesus to come and help you with that. Now, in a minute, there's going to be a prayer on the screen that I'll speak out and you can pray in your hearts, which we'll pray together, which will do the equivalent of this. It will open the door of our heart in the light of Jesus as he shines it on us, as we have an encounter with him. That's what's going to happen. So let me show you that prayer and then I'm going to show you the next part of what happens. When you open the door, what you're basically saying is you're, you're giving Jesus permission to come in and to guide you for the rest of your days. You're going to join everyone in God's family uh, at this place over here at the end of time. That's what, you, well, that's what you want. So this prayer to receive Jesus as the light of the world into my life is as follows. Lord Jesus, I want to open the door of my heart to let in your light. I'm sorry for everything I've got wrong. I'm so tired of having a heavy, dirty soul. Please light up the way for me for the rest of my days. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. The second part of how you can respond to the message is basically to allow Jesus to do more, to allow Jesus in to do more. A bit like the man in Mark's gospel, he had an encounter, something happened, but then there was more to come that Jesus wanted to provide. This man wanted Jesus to complete the work, didn't he? And he let Jesus in to do more and he gained full vision. Now, many of us as Christians have let Jesus in, but we still have particular things that the light of Jesus needs to be given permission to access. And there's a journey of transformation that goes a bit like this. You can turn the lights up a bit if you want to, guys. That's good. What we say is we're going to open both the doors and let Jesus in. And then Jesus is going to do something right now, which you can just watch. I'm not going to speak. You'll see it for yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Here's a prayer to give Jesus permission to shine his light on a particular area of our lives and kind of sort it out or bring clarity and do more with us. Lord Jesus, I want to open both doors of my heart to let in your light even more. I'm sorry I've allowed this spiritual junk to be there. Please shine your light to help me get this bit of my life in order. Amen. Let's all stand together. And I'm going to ask our worship team to uh, come and play for us at the front. And I want to make an appeal to you. I want to ask you that if you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus in and you opened the door for a moment into your life and, you, and the light of Jesus came in, if you prayed that, then as we're singing, we'd love to pray with you and we'd ask you to make your way down to the front. Or perhaps if you prayed and you said to yourself, Lord, I just want you to do more with me. I know you've done something with me, like the man in in Mark's gospel, but I want to go further. I want something completed. Or you sense there's something that's not quite right and you need to open up and let Jesus in. We're not asking you to come and confess that verbally, but maybe you might want to come down during this song and and just say that privately to the Lord. Lord, there's a bit of me that I just need you to do what I saw Leon do with that dirty washing.
you know, we find this process so scary, don't we? We just don't want Jesus to get in there. We want to protect it. But it's a really gentle process. You saw how Jesus was. He takes away some old grot and he puts it all in order. And there's a heart cry on the inside of many of us that he would do that. And if that's you, come to the front and get some prayer. Thanks, Natalie.